I'm Andy Otto, next on Thought Press. Bird flu is a big worry, and President Bush's $7 billion is supposed to help combat the virus and create greater awareness as far as a pandemic warning. More and more countries are being added to the outbreak list. China and Vietnam are the latest, but China is especially susceptible. We'll have more on that in a minute. The life as a U.S. soldier can be tough, but some are making a big difference through theater. The nurses just can't resist me. The nurses hate you, Sylvia. <laughs> That's what they want you to do. We're drawn from, the, you know, the same country that everyone else lives in. We just have a different job we have to do. Also, college tuition has gone up 40% in the last five years. Why is this, and how can universities make education more affordable? The cost could people into debt and delay things like marriage. Maura Jane Farrelly has our report with all the statistics and numbers. All this next on Thought Press. I'm Andy Otto. Thanks for listening. Whether on your commute or at home, Thought Press brings things together for you on demand and whenever you decide. It's not just news. We have stories that will enrich and keep you thinking. Today, just like every day, stories that will affect you. And what are people worrying about now more than ever? Bird flu. President Bush has put $7 billion into combating the bird flu. But experts say the most important thing is becoming aware of new outbreaks as quickly as possible. So some of that money is set aside just for that. There is a partnership called the U.S. International Partnership on Avian and Pandemic Influenza. Their goal is to unite nations in an effort to improve awareness and response to a pandemic by making it a top priority on the country's national agendas. 88 countries have agreed to this. Meanwhile, the Global Health Summit recently took place in New York. There, the topic was AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, the three big killers. But avian flu was a topic of discussion. Stephen Lewis is the UN Secretary General's Special Envoy for HIV and AIDS in Africa. He said, quote, I think the lessons of AIDS for the avian flu is that unless you respond instantaneously on an emergency basis, it engulfs you, end quote. The latest outbreaks reported have been in China and Vietnam. In China, 9,000 chickens died because of the virus, and they have the largest concentration of birds, 14 billion to be exact. China's health system is not looking in good shape. Roy Wydia is a spokesman for the World Health Organization in Beijing. In large parts of China, especially the countryside over the last 20 or 30 years, the healthcare system has been crumbling. We've got problems in terms of being able to provide basic health care to people. Surveillance is key to containing any outbreak and to preventing any pandemic, not only in the animal sector, of course, but then you have to be able to also survey the human population. Even the added concentration of large numbers of people in China make the country especially prone. I think it's obvious that being a soldier is a tough job. You travel, you're given orders, and you risk your life for your country. In a way, it's an honorable thing to do. But how does one keep morale as high as possible? Well, there are a few soldiers who've taken on a special assignment to perform and entertain troops around the world. From Heidelberg, Germany, Adam Allington reports. 
Meet Bravo Company. Bravo is the United States Army's touring theater ensemble. The actors in this company are real soldiers who've passed auditions and been granted leave from their regular duties for a four-month assignment traveling around the world performing for both troops and civilians. The roadside theater is not your typical community theater. In fact, it's not even beside a road. It's at the Patton Barracks on the grounds of the United States Army base in Heidelberg. What? Henson's dead. But I just saw him yesterday. He died last night. Now, he was all right. And he didn't have any arms or legs, but he was all right. Casey, he died last night. Tonight's feature is a two-act play by James McClure called Private Wars, the title being a wordplay that suggests both military rank and the idea of personal space. The audience is a mixture of soldiers, military family, and Americans living in Germany. Like many in the theater, these actors hold other jobs. My name is Drill Sergeant Robert Isom's with Echo Company, 3rd of the 323rd Infantry Regiment. Sergeant Michael Malizia with Charlie Battery 133 out of Bamberg, Germany, and I'm a 13 Mike uh, multiple launch rocket system. Sergeant Eric Bragg with the 114th out of Fort Dietrich, Maryland. I'm a 92 Alpha Battalion Supply Sergeant. Private Wars tells the story of three Vietnam War veterans recovering in a hospital from severe physical and mental injuries. Throughout the production, the characters are faced with this dilemma. Look, Gaby, for instance, suppose I just can't cope with the world when they let me out of here. You get out of here any time you want. I know that. Sergeant Malizia, who plays Natwick, says that the fact that these vets can leave the dreaded hospital but choose not to reflects the conflicts that we all face as we struggle to overcome our own personal and private fears. Well, I, I joined the Army uh, late in life. I joined when I was 32. I, I remember that, that summer joining as a very emotional time where I just absolutely thought this is absolutely not for me at all. I actually thought I was hallucinating. My character, Natwick, uh, definitely was a last-ditch effort. He couldn't function in the real world in spite of uh, you know, his, his wanting to fit in and then uh, decided to join the Army. And he himself says, I just, uh, I'm so, everybody was surprised the Army took me, including me, and that's, uh, that's how I felt. All my life, I've known I was going to fail. My mother had this brilliant career plan for me. Everyone was surprised the Army took me, including me. It isn't immediately apparent what these three soldiers are suffering from. They don't talk about their injuries, and there's only passing reference to Vietnam. In fact, most of the dialogue is actually kind of funny. Hey, Bion, come on. You ever ask yourself, what's the secret to my incredible sexual power over women? No. Think why the nurses just can't resist me? The nurses hate you, Sylvia. <laughs> That's what they want you to believe. Well, they got me believing it. Still, by the second act, it becomes clear that we, the audience, have been set up. We've laughed, we've become emotionally invested in the characters, and then finally, slowly, we see how the men are suffering and why they can't leave the hospital. All of a sudden, we're reminded of the very real fact that when soldiers go off to war, they sometimes come back horribly disfigured and injured. Drill Sergeant Isom's remembers one particular visit to Walter Reed Army Hospital that put this grave reality in perspective. We had a chance to go and visit Walter Reed when I first walked in the hospital, there was a gentleman, uh, I'll never know his name, where he was, but he, he was walking down the hall, and he was with his doctor, and evidently he had lost a, a leg, and the doctor was 
sharing with them that he's going to have to get to use this prosthetic leg. And, you know, they were just walking down the hall having this conversation. But for me, uh, I began, you know, just thinking, you know, how this, you know, soldier must have felt. After three months of touring through bases and hospitals around Europe, Heidelberg was Bravo's last stop before the actors returned to the States, back to their jobs as sergeants in the United States Army. It's been a good tour, the men say, a chance for them to grow as actors and also to support their comrades through the art. You don't look at a soldier as being an artistic creature, but we're drawn from the, you know, the same country that everyone else lives in. We just have a different job we have to do, so it's nice to be able to, to have an outlet like this. Well, I heard you're leaving soon. Yeah, that's right, tomorrow. tomorrow. For me, stage is like a mirror, so it allows that soldier to see himself um, or that person more so to see themselves. So I think the fact that letting them know that it's okay, it's okay to laugh, it's okay to cry, um, we all have private issues, but there is hope. I gotta go pack. I'll see you guys later. I'm Adam Allington in Heidelberg. the average college tuition in the United States is, it's a little over $21,000 for a year, and that's just the average. The rising cost of getting a degree is putting many into debt and delaying many life milestones. Maura Jane Farrelly brings us more. It can be very expensive to go to college in the United States, and it keeps getting more expensive. Although tuition increases were lower this year than they have been in the past, the cost of going to college is still rising much faster than inflation or Americans' household income. That's captured the attention of parents across the United States, including U.S. Secretary of Education Margaret Spellings, who recently sent her daughter off to college for the first time. The Department of Education has put together a commission to take a look at the future of higher education in the United States, and at the inaugural meeting, Ms. Spellings asked participants to make the issue of cost a priority. Please address such questions as, how accessible is higher education? And who will be the college student of tomorrow? Why is the cost of college rising so rapidly? And how can we make it more affordable? The average cost of one year at a private U.S. college or university is now $21,235. That's up from about $15,000 five years ago. To put the 40% increase in perspective, household income in the United States during this same period rose just 4%. Tuition at less expensive state-run universities is increasing even more rapidly. According to Patrick Callan, president of the National Center for Public Policy and Higher Education, that's because states are feeling the effects of a sluggish economy. 
public institutions have had their budgets cut by states, and they've been raising tuition to replace public money that's been taken out of their budget. But budget cuts are just part of the reason tuition rates have been increasing so rapidly. Mr. Callan points out that more and more American high school students are going to college because nowadays it's nearly impossible to earn a middle-class income without a college degree. This has created what he calls a seller's market, and schools are taking advantage of it. There's increased demand and not increased supply, so they're able to raise prices. That is, they can raise tuition without having to worry about losing enrollments. Add to that the myth that cost equates to quality, he says, and you have a situation where universities have no incentive to keep tuition down. The result is that students today are graduating with nearly twice as much education-related debt as graduates had 10 years ago. A study conducted by the Public Interest Research Group found that nearly 40% of student borrowers leave school with what are considered to be unmanageable debt levels. Their payments, in other words, amount to more than 8% of their monthly incomes. Patrick Cowan says if something isn't done about the cost of a college education, it's going to have an impact on America's future. It influences students' choices, like whether to go to graduate school and can you afford to go get a graduate degree if you already owe a chunk of money in a field that isn't going to have big economic returns, you know, teaching, social work, etc. The debt may also force people in their 20s to delay getting married and starting a family, a factor that could be behind the rising age of first-time marriage that the United States has experienced in recent years. Of course, there is financial aid available for students, but Patrick Callan says increases in grant and scholarship money haven't kept up with the increases in tuition. And he says universities haven't always distributed that money wisely because they're competing with one another for smart, accomplished students. A larger and larger proportions of the aid that's there are not going to the students uh, for whom it might make a difference in whether they go to college or not, but it's going to... Uh, to be used as an enticement in this competition for students that will raise your prestige by getting students with the highest SAT scores and the highest grade points out of high school. Patrick Callan says schools could do a lot to make a college education more affordable if they just restructured their aid formulas. And undoubtedly, that's one issue the Department of Education's Commission on Higher Education will be looking at. But unless more universities crop up in the United States, it will remain a seller's market until the cost gets so high, that is, that students simply can't go, regardless of how much debt they're willing to assume. I'm Maura Farrelly. Thoughts on this? Email thoughtpress at gmail.com. I'm Andy Otto. Thanks for listening to ThoughtPress. You may follow up with stories mentioned on this program through our website, thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Suggestions or comments can be sent to thoughtpress at gmail.com or call 206-33-THINK. Our number again is 206-338-4465. Our audio is hosted by archive.org and select content is provided by Voice of America. Don't forget to visit our website, thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Thanks. Thanks.